Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, Ask questions and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now... Taz and Paula. Well, good morning, Taz. Good morning, Paula. Well, our guest has not called in yet, but we can introduce him until he does, or I will try to call him. But um, we have such an incredible show today. Our guest, co-author of Dreaming Heaven, Lee McCormick, was born into a tribe of movers and shakers always living life on the edge and out loud. So he is, like, out there. (laughs) In this awesome journey book, Dreaming Heaven, along with a DVD and meditations, it magnificently unleashes a handhold for each individual to peer through their veil and capture a glimpse of their soul never viewed or experienced so vividly. It is a gift of themselves from heaven that is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Paula, for me, this book and DVD was truly an initiation tool to stand still long enough to view areas more deeply than ever before in my life. And watching others experience their personal journey in the ancient Tolic city of Teotihuacan in Uh, Mexico was much more than an archaeological wonder, for it stimulated assessing myself even further, watching others go through their journey, too. Just think, for thousands of years, pilgrims have journeyed through uh, Teo's sacred temples and plazas and ascended the pyramids of the moon and the sun to discover what is real authentic and true, to experience the deepest aspect of themselves by dreaming heaven, to actualize heaven on earth. As and I both watched the uh, wonderful DVD and uh, the uh, read the book, so it's been uh, a journey for us before we get to interview you. I think this is the very first time, I mean, maybe other people have done it, but I've never heard of it, that someone actually made a documentary and a book corresponding with an actual journey so that people could actually be there with you. And I, I think that is such a gift to give to people. So we th- well, thanks. You know, we thank you. Yeah. Um, what? You know, it, Go ahead. It, it was one of those things that um, we didn't really know what we, we didn't really have an intention. We just thought we would film the journey and it would be interesting. And so that was seven years ago. You know, 
So it uh, it really became a, a journey unto itself, creating this, and that was the motivation behind it was to be able to to share that experience um, with people that because I've never seen anything like it myself, and that was really the deal. There's a lot of talk about oh we need to do this and we need to go do that, but I've never seen a a, a package that said okay, but this is what doing it looks like. Well, I think the interesting part of it for me was not only could I go through a journey individually while I was going through the DDD, but I got to view others as well. So it stimulated a lot of different parts of me that maybe might not have been stimulated um, to, you know, to even uh, delve deeper into where I was going and just watching the process. It was very um, educational. It was very supportive in in one in one really taking hold of an area that maybe they wouldn't have gone as deeply. So I thought that was really wonderful. I, I didn't anticipate that being um, involved with the documentary and in the DVD like this. Have others also felt this? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's the power of of Teotihuacan and and the the experience of that place is literally an energy. Um, and and when you go when you go to Teo, and you go there with a calling or with a question or you know with you go there wanting to look at your life or deal with your stuff or whatever, um, the energy of that place really responds. It's it's interesting. That place, Teotihuacan, is a living place. It's a being. Um, I mean, and, and you, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this lightly, like some you know some woo woo esoteric thing. Uh, this is 15 years of of having a home there and guiding trees there, and and it literally, the presence of Teo responds to each individual that comes there on an individual basis. It's profound, and the energy is conveyed, and the, the energy, the consciousness, the awareness, the information is conveyed through light, through the frequency of light that is present there, um, which goes back to the Toltec Mystery School awareness that all of this world, which is also, by the way, completely congruent with quantum physics today, is just that the, the, the Teotihuacanos knew this 3,000 years ago, that this world is a manifestation of light. It's varying frequencies and densities of light. And so the energy that exists in that space and the energy that was that was happening in the interactions of, of everyone that was on that journey is in the light of the film. That's what I that's how I've come to explain it because what you said has happened and people have made that statement over and over again at screenings. And I'm not talking about screenings with, you know, a room full of the choir of, you know, spiritual seekers. I'm talking about screenings in Nashville and Jacksonville, Florida and Episcopal Church and, you know, just screenings with everyday All-American people. And people would sit after the film was over, like a substantial number. If there's 100 people in the audience, 50 of them are sitting there going, oh, my God, what just happened to me? Um, You know, I, I feel like this film has impacted me somehow. 
So, and that was completely unexpected. I had no idea what to expect when we started on this journey. Um, and that's how I've come to explain it. It is, it is the same response in a, you know, in somewhat of a milder, on a milder level. It's the same interaction that happens when you go there personally. You know, healers have a special technique where they, um, when they work on your body, they say, okay, not only are you clearing your um, DNA, um, but you're also clearing your ancestors, um, and you're working forward to make a better um, health um, mentally and physically. And this is what, you know, when you look at this, because it's like you were able, it, it was not only were you clearing your stuff, but you were also, I mean, your stuff was being cleared by watching them. <laughs> it was pretty interesting. It was it was very special. Um, yeah, well, thanks. Um, just come with us and come to it firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, do you think that the, the pyramid was, like other pyramids, built on a sacred grid or a special grid where there is more light there than other parts of the world? Um, yeah, well, I can tell you this. The Pyramid of the Sun was built over the top of a four-leaf clover-shaped cave. Um, and it's that cave that literally for thousands of years, the construction of the city, the original city of Teotihuacan began, according to the archaeologists, it began 1,800 years ago. Um, those caves, I, from what I understand from the native people in that area, it, those caves have been used by humans for 5,000 years. There's an energy that comes out of the earth that's present in those in that cave. I've been in that cave a, a few times. It's literally underneath the pyramid, in the center of the massiveness of the Pyramid of the Sun, and about 15 feet underground, um, maybe 20 feet underground, there's a long tunnel that leads to this four-leaf clover-shaped cave. Um, and I just, I, I refer to it as, as a disintegration chamber because it literally disintegrates the form that we hold together as us, you know, what we call us in an energetic sense, um, you, you become more of just consciousness and a force when you're sitting in that cave. It's, um, it's, you really can't explain it to somebody. Um, but that was the origin. And, and what I understand and what I've read is that the mathematical axis and layout of Teotihuacan is between the Pyramid of Quetzalcoatl at one end of the avenue to the Pyramid of the Sun to the Pyramid of the Moon, which is at the far north end of the avenue, that um, it's laid out in, in exactly the same um, grid as the pyramids in Egypt and Giza. It's a reflection of Orion's belt. So when uh, you have a, a sacred journey, you you walk through it all. I mean, you start... And it, when I saw the people walk through it, I could see them go through different stages of clearing and, and releasing. Mm-hmm. 
is this possible? Because you're one of your, I think, um, you want other people to be able to go through their journeys even if they can't go to Mexico. Is it possible to have that deep of a, a journey without being in uh, Tio? Yeah, it is. Um, it's you know, it's it's absolutely possible in the context of a group. It's very tricky to try and do it on your own individually, and and we give that direction in the book. Um, you know, there's a power. There, there's a, a gift that comes to us when we come together as a group for the for the intent of um, of healing ourselves or or broadening our awareness or opening our life up to to more to something greater than what we think we know. Um, and so, because the you know we can't ex- what we're experiencing when we're there is what we really are. You know, the presence of Tetrawakan, the presence of what we call power places or sacred places, uh, in my my point of view, is that what those places do is enhance what already exists within us. And it's it's aspects of ourself that come forward and, and we become conscious of and we feel literally in our physical body. Um, it's, it's, it would be the equivalent in Peru. You know, the Peruvians, the, the Carol people, and the Incan people, they they don't say positive and negative when they talk about energy. They say heavy energy and refined energy. There's no judgment associated with the nature of energy. Um, and that that's very accurate from my perspective and my experience, is that when when we can connect to a place that supports us in releasing heavy energy and allowing the frequency that we are as beings to resonate and and to become more refined and actually to move back into a higher higher frequency of what the truth of what we are. And then we experience the truth of what we are through our physical body. You know, because we're not these big heavy beings with all this baggage and all this legacy and, you know, all this ancestral mess. That's not what we are. But we certainly live the experience of having inherited all that stuff when we were born into this world. So um, as the frequency becomes more refined, uh, it's kind of like, you know, I've heard in, in people talking about healing cancer and healing different diseases, that if, if you can raise the frequency of that person, that the nature of the disease actually can't, uh, to put it simply, the disease can't exist in the presence of that high of a frequency. So the disease will disintegrate. The disease will go away. But it's the same thing. Our suffering is a, is heavy-based energy. And we believe in it, so we attach ourselves to it. And so these power places and these ceremonies and these practices, if you took the, the Dreaming Heaven film and a group of people took the book and delved into it, um, from an open place, not a, you know, I, I need to be here to tell you how much I know, but from the place of, you know what, for all that I know, I'm still a mess, and let's see what I might discover about myself if I'm willing to question everything about myself. And you follow the direction um, of the book, then things happen. You know, they happen because it's the truth of what we are. We live so buried underneath all this stuff, and we don't have faith in ourselves. Not really. We have faith in doctors and, you know, gurus and spiritual teachers and 
We have belief systems, you know, tied to various religious orders that we give our faith to our belief that if I believe this, then I'm going to be okay, which is, in my opinion, you're just giving your faith to your own construct. Um, and, and for me, true faith is faith in this mystery of what we're living here in this world. And, you know, once I got to where I just realized, you know, life is so big and so vast, I'm not going to figure it out. And I'm not going to understand it. I can make up stories about it, but that's not it. My story's not it. And I just love living, and I just try and, and not and be aware of when am I delving into heavy and when am I giving attention and energy to things that create suffering. And and uh, it's time to stop that, <laughs> you know. It just changes things, and the book supports that, and the movie shows it. So I, I, don't, I, I tell you what, I've been totally... I've been humbled and surprised and very pleased with the response of what people experience through the book and and through the film. It's just cool. It's like, God, life is right there just waiting for us to say, okay, is there more going on than what I know? It's very magical if you allow it to be. Well, sure. Well, you know, somebody said to me one time, because I've spent a lot of time around what people call sorcerers, you know, or people that are are very mystically inclined and and connected through different frequencies of reality. Um, You know, magic is something that's kind of passing. Like, you can manipulate reality, you can manipulate a frequency, um... And, and, and make something happen or something appear, whatever. But the truth is reality is what we refer to as magical because we never really know what's going on here. I don't care who you are. You can take all the authorities on the planet and they can explain everything to the greatest detail and all their experiments and all their evidence-based information. And every time they turn around, what they've given their faith to is changing again. You know, the science is changing again. So we live in this great mystery, in my opinion. And and when you can fall in love with a mystery, then you're you're in for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> How did you meet with um Jeannie and Francis and Dana and um it, the group for creating this particular um journey? Well, at, that, at the time we did that, I was living in Malibu. I had created a recovery program. I've done a lot of work in the in the drug and alcohol and mental health um, treatment business. Um, and I, I was in the process of creating a treatment program in Malibu. Um, uh, like I, I contract out and I come in and create programs for people. Um, Jenny and I had known each other. I had I started working with some of the teachers trained by Miguel Ruiz about 15 years ago. Um, And Jenny was one of the original group of apprentices of Miguel's. Um, And I met Jenny through those relationships. Um, And then I met Frank somewhere along the line. Frank was also part of Miguel's original group of apprentices. You know, that I guess they all hooked up 20, 25 years ago. It's been quite a, quite a while now. Um, and, you know, I was trying to figure out my mess at that time. 
um, when I first met those guys. And they were very compelling to me. They were so present in there. They were so um, energetically, um, I guess, impeccable. They just had a lot of juju going on. You know, there was like something to them. And I was like, whoa, this is really interesting. It was far more interesting to me than the very simple traditional recovery message of, you know, you are an addict and you need to do this and you need to do that now to be good enough. I was like, okay, I'm not interested in being good enough for anybody else. I'm looking for a hole in the fence so I can live a free, happy life. And those guys appeared to me to be that. So I I got to be friends with them. I worked with Jenny. I learned from Jenny. I learned from Frank. Um, you know, and, um, and and we just all kind of connected. Um, and then I met a man named Dana Walden who did about everything on the film. Dana and I wrote most of the music together. Um, he produced the soundtrack. He was one of the camera people on the journey. Uh, Dana did a lot of the editing. He he was one of the film writers. Um, and uh, Dana and I just clicked also. You know, it's just kind of kindred spirits. You get on a mission like that and that you attract the people that resonate with it. And we've worked on this thing for years together. And um, and it's just, you know, it's really been a labor of love the whole time. Still is. There's never been a major argument over any of it, which is really kind of funny. You know, you spend seven years in a creative endeavor like this because on one level it, it's a film production and it's a book production and it's a series of meditations. Um, and we all respect each other's points of view. We all realize that each one of us has our own unique experience going on and that my experience doesn't need to be your experience. And I respect your experience. And I can say, oh, my God, look at that, the sky is black. And you could say, oh, my God, look at that, the sky is white. And it's like, wow, you know, there's clearly two skies up there. <laughs> um, so there's, you know, you come to a... I think you come to a point when you really realize that, you know what, I am okay. And I don't need this world to tell me that anymore. And my faith is in whatever created me, really, whatever version or story I have of that. And um, the fact that I'm okay means that we don't need to agree. It's cool. You can believe whatever you want to believe. That's fine. You know, the point is that there's mutual respect and, and there's a, a a common intent to create something of value. That's how this came about. How many uh, journeys, I mean, how many groups of people have you had? You said you've been doing oh, about gosh. seven years. You know, well, I've, been leading, I've been involved in journeys down there for 14 years, 13 years, a lot. Yeah, I have a little home. The little blue house that you see in the movie is my house. Um, and we have a compound called the Dreaming House, uh, which is, has become a boutique hotel um, that I basically, I was told down there one night standing out in this big open yard in the village of San Sebastian with my compadre and comadre who, who owned, who, it was their family land. You know, I just got this message just clear as day, it's time to create a new home for the people who will come back to Teotihuacan to wake up. So I started sending money to Mexico, and over eight years, Alberto Hernandez and I created this dreaming house, and it's just beautiful. 
It's about a 25-room little boutique hotel. Um, well, I don't know how many people. I do four or five journeys a year, and there'll be anywhere from 10 or 12 to 30 people on a journey. So, you know, I don't know, 1,000? I don't know. So on each journey, do you personally get more out of it? Oh, absolutely. You know, I'll tell you, it's like this. It's like if you give swimming lessons, you know, you're in the pool too. Everybody's wet. <laughs> you can't give swimming lessons standing on the bank. So when you go to Teo, um, it's funny because in the film, I think at the end of the film at one point I say, you know, while everyone's having their experience here, I'm also having my experience. Um, I can get so completely ex- well, I call it expanded. I, don't, I can get so out there, but I have the ability to be completely present and in my body and, and functioning. But the truth is my consciousness is like 17 dimensions away. So I've got about five different worlds of stuff going on all at the same time. And for whatever reason, I can, I can go there. Where some people are, you know, when, it, when this first started happening with me, um, I would lay, I'd be on the ground, just like tripping out, um, flying through space or something. You know, my body just be laying on the ground, and I would leave my body. But I don't leave my body anymore. Part of uh, the journey is, um, I would say, is releasing fear. And uh, one part of the film, um, you've got people up on top of a pyramid. And you're holding their legs, and they're looking backwards, and it's like I don't know how far up it is. And they well, yeah, so that's the pyramid of the moon, and it's it's pretty high. Yeah. Now I was, you know, as, as I'm watching that because I have a fear of heights, I thought, whoa, if I could do that, I would know that I was, you know, on my journey. Well, sure. Oh, well, see, you've got to come. This is the best in the world to get over your fear of heights. I never knew you were fearful of heights, Paula. How long have I known you? Wow. Well, I mean, well, I went on a zip line, so I I was able to do that, so I can do anything. You know, I'm not real fond of, um, like, being on a pyramid, I'm not worried about, but pamper poles and high ropes course stuff. I don't have a fear of heights. I have a fear of falling. Oh, that's um, it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that, but that's something that's in our body, I think, sometimes. But I thought, wow, that, I mean, I could see the people. I mean, they were, they were the eagle. I mean, it was like, it was a wonderful part of the film. Oh, yeah. So does your um, different ceremonies, have they changed throughout the years you've been having groups come in? Because sometimes things evolve and maybe the ceremony will get better. Did this oh, yeah, it does. Um, you know, it, some people, I've, I've spent a lot of times around different traditions and ceremony. Uh, I've got a, I've got Lakota friends. I've got Sundance friends, um, and they're very particular. For instance, 
Um, a lot of them are very specific about exactly how ceremony has to be done. Um, I've got Navajo friends, Diné friends, you know, who are much looser about things. So I think that's kind of personal. Um, I've got Aztec-oriented friends in Mexico that are very strict about the nature of ceremony. Um, my calling in all of this came out of my own experience, my own healing, my own personal work years ago. And what I've realized in working with people, for me, in the United States, um, working with all the trauma and, and all of the issues that, that people are dealing with when they decide they want to heal and they want to wake up and get clear of that stuff, um, is that the ceremony is here to be of service to the person in their healing. It's not about the, doing the ceremony correctly. It's about that person being opened up and that person getting what will be of service to them, what will help them. And it's it's respectful. Of, there's respect for the ceremony, but I don't do ceremony to feed the ceremony. I do ceremony to feed the person. So they shift and change all the time. Um, literally, it can depend on the group of people um, because yeah. there's no... There's no joke in the way the groups come together. Um, I can always see it in the middle of a journey, you know, how this group of people is so unique and, and, and how they complement each other and their being there. Um, and some groups some groups can go further faster, and some groups have really got a lot of heavy, um, what I call the dirty work. You know, they've got a lot of heavy stuff to work with. And so you just move according to how the energy of the group flows. Now you're you're going to be in Joshua Tree in uh, November. Uh, is it the same type of journey that you do in um, Joshua Tree? The Joshua Tree event is called Soul Care, and um, I, I do the Soul Care event. Uh, well, this is our second year. I do that with Joan Borsenko, um and her husband Gordon Devin. Um, You know, Joan is Joan's just an amazing human being. She's she comes from a medical scientific, you know, cellular oncologist background at Harvard, and she also is is a true mystic. Um, she's an amazing, amazing person. Um, and soul care is really focused on um, healers and mental health addictions professionals, people who are on a very focused. Um, Intent, intent, full. I don't know if that's a word. People who are really into the depth of healing and practice and connection to spirit, and and also realize that you know what, when you work as a healer, you work as a therapist, you work as a doctor, a nurse, you have a responsibility to to reinforce your connection with your own heart and your own spirit on a regular basis, because working with all that energy. Um, Working with those dynamics day in and day out takes a toll on you. And so soul care is, in, in Joshua Tree, is really about that heart and soul reconnection with ourself and with each other as a community. It's a really sweet um, experience. I love Joshua Tree. I love the desert. And Joan Gordon, the woman named Christine Stevens, who is an absolute gift herself, she's She's a, a licensed clinical social worker, but Christine's traveled all over the world doing 
drumming groups and rhythm groups with tribal peoples. She's gone into war zones and brought um, brought warring factions together, doing drumming, you know, and rhythm work together um, in different parts of the world, in the Middle East and Africa. Um, she's she's just an angel. Christine's going to be there. Um, a couple of my staff from our Integrative Life Center, our recovery program in Nashville, are going to be there. So, and then you've got Joshua Tree there. You know, you've got the <laughs> you've got the desert and all its magic at the same time. So it's going to be a very cool experience. Sounds wonderful. Wow. Yeah. Uh, now uh, you talk. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No. Uh, you, you talk about journaling. And does everyone journal when they're with you? And, um, you know, what what do you find that's important that they that they should? Um, Why is it important? Yeah, I like to use journaling for a number of reasons. There are different, different specific focuses um, with it. Um, on the journeys to Teo, on our traditional version of a journey, there's there's some writing and there's some journaling so that people are moving the experience from out of how the mind has processed it and literally putting it down on paper so that you can you can you're writing a book for yourself um, to capture your feelings, your interpretation, your experience, so that you can then let it go, too. Um, you know, the reason that we have the issues, to a large degree, that we have the baggage, you know, all the stuff that we have to deal with when we decide to start cleaning our life up at some point, we have all that baggage because we've attached ourselves to all of our experiences through life and the judgments of the experiences um, and the emotional response to the experiences and, and it just creates this energetic volume of of information and story and history. And and the ability to journal in the present moment and then release that moment and be present for the next moment and be present for the next day's experience, I think it gives the mind something to do. Like you can tell your mind, okay, I can let go of this now because I've got it down on paper so we can go back to it and review it when we want and we don't need to carry it around in our energetic library, you know, within our being anymore. Um, so that's one aspect of journaling. There's many aspects to using journaling, actually. Um, one thing that I do with people that I work with, um, you know, like as an apprentice or people that I work with long term, is I'll always give them the assignment to write your life story. And you just start at any point you want, and you follow the threads, and you're not writing it to have it published. So, you know, grammar and punctuation doesn't have to be correct. But you just need to mind dump your entire life story and everything that comes up. And it it may take you three months, and it may take you two years. But you want to shift the energy of everything you're carrying around, again, that you're attached to, as your identity, as your history, the things that you define you by, the things that you hold up as filters when you look out into the world that you're seeing through, you want to transfer all of that onto a volume of paper and move it out of you energetically and into this book so that you become aware of it. And that's a 
hugely powerful practice. When I was told to do that years ago, I thought I pretty much had myself all lined out. Boy, I wrote about stuff that, that, you know, that brought tears, that brought feelings, that brought all kinds of stuff up that I really thought I was done with. Um, it was really interesting. But it gives you the opportunity to realize that, okay, if I really do, if I really am going to be done with this, that I really do have to focus on releasing the energy of it. The memory will always be there, you know. You remember where you came from. You remember what you've lived through. But the memory comes up and there's no energy attached to it. There's no reaction attached to it. There's no inherent sadness or anger or any of that. It's just a memory. And what I find about journaling, if you go back, like if I go back a year, what I wrote a year ago, I can actually judge in how far I've come mm-hmm. from maybe a year ago. Otherwise, you don't have. Well, I think that's true. I'm not much of a. I'm not much on revisiting the past. I just kind of like I'm like okay next. <laughs> yeah, you live in the now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you, you talked about. So, well, I say that I live in a in the. I live on a ranch in Middle Tennessee in the oldest house in this county, and I saved. You know, all the wood and the floors and everything in my house are from the mid-1800s because I, I salvaged all that material off of different barns and buildings and houses over the years. So I can't I can't really say that I'm totally in the now. I have, I have a thing for old stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, old stuff, really, the wood and everything is really quite different and unusual. And I think that's just... Um, cherishing that that thought of having it from someone's barn or whatever, you know, and, and fixing it up and renewing it. But, um, you know, ha- being able to look at your journal and experience. I mean, every day we go through experiences. And um, if we can just maybe step back and look at one or two of them in particular and think, wow, you know, what's what this is about and and being able to, you know, kind of step forward um, on getting more in touch with your soul, I think it's really important. And so I, oh, I think so, too. I think so, too. You know, in regards to journaling, um, if I, if if there were if I had a group of people that were going to get together and form a drinking heaven group, and as the direction in the book is, I believe, is that if you get a group of people together, you watch the film together, you you would take notes, you would probably watch the film more than once together, um, and you go into the chapters of the book and you do the work, and then you come back together once a week. It's a twelve week practice. You come back together once a week and you share. I would absolutely recommend that people journal during that entire process. Because, when, you know, when we engage in something that's a 12-week journey together, you're energetically in that journey the entire time. You're in it when you're at home in bed. You're in it when you're meeting as a group. You're in it when you're at school or at work. Um, that's one of the things that, that one of the awarenesses that, I, that, that came about with me is that, you know, we only live one life. There's only one of me. My life does not exist in compartments. I was taught to look at the world that way, but the world does not exist that way. There's one reality. There's one world. There's one me. 
And, and it's all one big picture, really. My mind can take it apart and break it down and try and separate it out, and I can develop as many personalities as I want to fit with my different compartments of my professional life and my family life and my, you know, whatever life. Um, it's kind of like we're, we've been programmed to, to live like schizophrenics. Um, <laughs> but, um, that's but that's just not true. We don't exist that way. It's all one, we're all just one energy and, and, and one point of perception, and there's just one of me going on here. So um, I just... I just got a phone call, and we need to let people know we're we're speaking with Lee McCormick, and he is the um, co-author of Dreaming Heaven, and we're talking about journeying, and he has um, taken people to um, uh, Teotihuacan in Mexico, and um, that plaza, and and helping them to look at themselves. And, and they did a, a documentary on one of the journeys, which uh, is a part of a book, which helps people be able to um, go on their own journeys, which we've been talking about. And uh, the website is called DreamingHeaven.net. You can head to it and uh, look further and, and uh, continue listening to this right now. <laughs> now, Lee, have you gotten any um Feedback, or is there one memorable feedback that you've received from a group that happened from um, a group that has been doing this work on their own with your book? Um, you know, the, the, all the feedback that I've gotten has, it's all been positive. Um, you know, I wouldn't say there's anything profound in any one response. Um, it's pretty much across the board that that this, and I don't know if this is the right way to put it or not, but this experience tends to rattle us. Um, when we when we start really questioning our reality and our identity and the world as we have really convinced ourselves it exists, when we start questioning that, it, it sends shock waves through our whole life and our whole experience um and and that's what I hear over and over again, you know, and honestly if because we get we we really are rigid, we really do hold on to a lot of stuff, and our first reaction to so many things in life really is to defend. You know, I could have, I could be in a terrible relationship, or I could be addicted to a drug, or I could have an awful job, um, and I can complain about it, and I can blame it, I can do all that. But the minute something comes along that may challenge and, and take that away from me, our first reaction, so much of the time, is to defend it. You know, you can. I've worked with so many people in, in recovery over the years who would say, "Oh my God, you know, my drinking is killing me, and it's ruining my family and everything else." But the minute you start challenging them around it, they're going to defend it. Well, it's because what we've attached ourselves to, we've attached an aspect of our our security in, because we know it so well. It's mine. I don't care if it's terrible. I don't care if it's killing me. It's mine, and at least I know it's mine. And so we hang on to it. Well, when we start questioning all that stuff and start following a process like the Dreaming Heaven practice, um, 
it's not always comfortable. Change is not comfortable. You know, not until you get really used to it or you just really enjoy it. Change is challenging. Um, and still there's the deepest aspect of ourself that absolutely breathes a sigh of relief. Like, oh, my God, I'm so glad you're finally doing this. Um <laughs> You know, so one aspect yeah, of my mind is saying, no, no, I'm not going there. We don't need to go there. This is ridiculous. We don't have time. Um, and there's another aspect of ourselves down deeper that's saying, oh, my God, are, you, are we really going to wake up here? <laughs> really? Now, for people that go on the journey in Mexico with you, sometimes while they're actually there, do they feel as though they didn't get anything, and then when they get home, they go, aha. I mean, has there been a delayed reaction on all this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there has. The thing about about Teotihuacan um, I was speaking to earlier is that it tends to magnify whatever you got with you. Um, if you're a resistant kind of person to change, you want to change, but you're really more invested in being resistant to change than you are allowing it to happen, and you come to town, you're getting ready to get squeezed. Because it's, it's like cranking the volume up to 10. Um, you know, um, over the years, oh, probably a 1,000 people on journeys, a lot of people. I've only had three or four people that got down there, and they just basically, after a couple of days, said, I'm not doing this. I've got to go. And they had to leave because they were they 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 could not allow themselves to open up and, and what they were holding on so tight to was being magnified to where they were so uncomfortable um, and in such reaction that they literally had to leave because it was either crack open um, or leave, you know, and, and that's pretty interesting that, you know, all the volume of people that have been there and they would acknowledge, even those folks said, you know what, I'm just not, I'm just not ready for this. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go there. Um, you know, and well, it's what it is. In your documentary, um, there is one person in, in the documentary that went out on his own because he said he wasn't quite getting it. And then he told this big story about getting caught in a barbed wire fence and he was bleeding. And so he was almost, what I got out of it is he was telling the story in order to avoid what he was really supposed to be getting, and he was called on it. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> you're talking about Steve Allen in the right. movie, and Steve is still a really good friend of mine. Um, and it was a big deal. And then if you notice at the very end of the movie, he's the one that's up dancing and grinning, and he looks like he's 20 years younger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot to that. Um, you know, we had a, a hundred and six or seven hours of film to edit down into a um, seventy-five minute movie. So we could have made a movie of a whole. You could have made a whole dissertation piece on the interaction that happened between Steve and Jenny, um, and followed that thread of how that evolved. It was it was really powerful, and you know what? Those sometimes those interactions get really intense. You know, um, 
and it did get intense, and 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 it all works. It all works for us. Yeah. Well, not only that, but when you see one aspect of that, and then you start questioning yourself. Oh, okay. Am I am I going deep enough here? Am I am I really paying attention? Can I? You know, I mean, this this documentary was incredible because it made you question yourself. I mean, uh, it was powerful. Let me tell you, Lee. Um, I have another because, question. Okay. I want to know <laughs> if um, you've thought about writing another book or if it's on the pad already. Um, actually, I just uh, I have a, a really good friend, a woman named Mary Faulkner, who's written several books. She's written a couple really good women's spirituality books. Um, it's F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R, Mary Faulkner. And um, Mary and I just finished a book called The Spirit Recovery Medicine Bag. Um, and it is more of a, well, the subtitle to the book is um, A Transformational Journey, which the transformational journey aspect is my story. The first 100 pages is my personal recovery waking up story, and it goes through my first trip to Teotihuacan because that's where I realized that there was that what life, that the opportunities of life are way beyond anything I thought I knew. Um, it's a transformational journey and guide to living happy, joyous, and free. So, you know, that's a recovery term. And what this book is about is it's the, the second half of the book is all of the different practices that Mary and I have engaged in and experienced personally and then come around to share with with supporting people in their own evolution into their authenticity. You know, that's, again, my my focus with all of this is that I'm here to help you realize who you really are. I'm not here to tell you who you really are. And I'm here for to help you unravel what's in the way of you having absolute faith um, in you. Because I believe God, God, if you want to use the word God, I believe we were created to be true to our, the intent and our being in this world, um, if you understand what I'm saying. And I believe that what happens to us and what's happened to the integrity of life with humanity is that we bail on the true integrity of our, our reason for being here, which is within us. We, we bail on that for the sake of chasing what the world tells us we should do or need to do or must do in order to fit into the world and in order to be good enough. And it's kind of like the old, you can't live for two masters saying, you know, of Jesus, you know, you can't chase the the smoke and mirrors of this world trying to be good enough for this world and at the same time bring your attention and focus back on what's what's really there in your deepest heart of hearts. You know, what, did, what seeds did God plant at the moment of your conception when you came into this world that are waiting for your attention to come back to so that you can really live an authentic life. Um, I, you know, that's that's my perspective of why we're in such a mess, because we think we're smarter than the reason in our being here in the first place, and I don't think we are. Well, isn't the purpose of the our, our beingness, I mean, we've come down to learn who we are, if that makes sense. I mean to have integrity in who we are. And I think this is part of the lesson of life. 
Yeah. Well, it could be. You know, I don't really know. I just know. I just know that loving being in this world and loving and respecting life um, has come to me through the course of my letting go of the world having any responsibility for my happiness and the world having any responsibility for my well-being and my sense of self. You know, uh, it's not the world's responsibility anymore. It's not. It's it's my responsibility, and and I've just stumbled into this faith in the unknown. That's really what I believe. I have absolute faith that the unknown has a better idea of what's coming next than I do, and that I just I'm just going to live and follow my heart. That's it's pretty much that simple to me. Now it's not always that simple day to day out there in the world. Because I do a lot of things, and I'm in businesses, and I do all that stuff, and there's messes, and there's challenges, you know, that we all live with. And the truth is, I still know very good and well that, um, you know, that I'm okay, and that life's okay, and that living in this world is just an experience. It's just an experience being here, you know. So I've just kind of let it off the hook. Like, you know what, we're you're cool. Everything's fine. (laughs) Sort of. We want everybody to get hop onto your website. It's www.dreamingheaven.net, and you have meditations there. You have music, um, uh, so it's really everyone that's listening should hop on there and, and take a look. And you can. Yeah, and the book is available. Um, it's available. It's it's out through Agape Media and Hay House, so it's available at your local bookstore. You may need to order it, but Barnes & Noble has it, Amazon.com has it. Um, yeah, go buy it. You know, it's never too early to Christmas shop. So you could buy a copy for all your friends. And that's well, Dreaming Heaven. Yeah, Dreaming Heaven. Now, you know what? I also understand your website is interactive, so journeymen and women can share their experiences and insights and breakdowns and breakthroughs and uh, is that website the same as DreamingHeaven.net? Um, yes, it is. And we also have a really active Facebook page. If people are on Facebook, okay. it's just Dreaming Heaven. I think it's Dreaming Heaven, the movie, actually. But if you put Dreaming Heaven in, it'll pop up. Lee McCormick, we are very thankful and honored to have you with us today. Um, we really appreciate your time that you've taken out for us and um, uh, making our journey a little more deeper. Well, you we're so grateful. Just come with us on a journey. Well, that's on my bucket list. We're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see me within the next year. <laughs> cool. I look forward to it. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you, Lee. Thank Bye-bye. You. Bye. Bye-bye.